Welcome to Baby Tour Guide's Montessori Babies podcast. I'm your host and baby tour guide, Bianca Solorsano, and for the last decade, I have dedicated myself to helping parents, educators, and caregivers optimize baby development through a Montessori lens. This podcast is all about evolving our Montessori practice to make our time with our sweet babies easier, relaxed, and so much fun. Let's jump into it. Hi everyone, welcome to season two, episode 13 of our Montessori Babies podcast. I cannot tell you how excited I am for this week's episode. I had the honor of having Rachel, Megan, and Laura from the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast on our show today, and we got to chatting all about the expectations at home versus the expectations at school, because they're also Montessori guides and teachers. So, Before we dive into that interview and conversation, I want to go ahead and start with our quote for the week and also just a fun little Montessori baby tip, and then we will get right into our interview. And for today's episode and conversation, I thought that the perfect quote, of course, by Dr. Montessori is, to assist a child, we must provide him with an environment which will enable him to develop freely. That's the whole quote. (laughs) Um, I feel like this is the perfect quote for this episode, mostly because we are talking about the difference between environments and what that looks like, what the free child looks like within the environment, because we see a lot on social media. We see a lot when, you know, if you've toured Montessori schools, maybe heard about Montessori, know someone who's done Montessori, either in school or at home. And, you know, there's a lot of different expectations, right? And so today we get to talk about what the differences are between home and and school and some of the similarities as well. And hopefully that can clarify for some of you. I know we have both, you know, teachers in classroom and parents and caregivers in home settings as well as, you know, listeners of our show. So I'm just so excited to jump into this conversation. I did also want to give a quick little baby tip um, just as far as the Montessori materials go. I know a lot of our listeners choose toys and materials that align with Montessori, maybe just some Montessori materials or maybe, you know, subscription boxes or you know, they're finding toys and materials themselves. Maybe you're in my course where I have them all linked. But however you're doing it, what I wanted to say was just that each baby will relate to the materials differently. And the way that they use the materials may look different from day to day. And the reason I say that um, is because throughout my years, both in the classroom and, you know, now at home with my son and also you know, with the clients that I've had, helping them implement in their homes with their babies, children will be driven to explore the materials and the ways that their inner will drives them to explore those materials. And that will look different each day because as Dr. Montessori said, the child is a new child every day, right? They learned so much yesterday. What they're going through today might be very different as well. They might be newly emerging into a different sensitive period, or they might be really teething like my son, where, you know, he's a delayed teether. And so he just got his first three teeth, his two bottom, and then the top's coming in and his gums are just swollen all over. And that's making him a little bit more angsty, right? And so the way that he is exploring his materials is a lot more angsty, agitated, (laughs) you know? Like for example, he was doing the ring stalker today and he was trying to put the ring on. He got all upset and kind of like threw the ring down. And I just kind of sports casted and just said, oh, you got upset and you threw it down. I'm going to pick it back up 
look, this is the hole, you know, and we just kind of moved on and you try it again and you try it again. But that's kind of what I wanted to say was just that the way that they relate to their materials and their environment and really everything will change from day to day. But the reason I say the material specifically is because, of course, you know, in Montessori, there's the idea of the lesson, right? There's an initial way to show baby how to do the material. And then from there, the idea is they will practice, work, play to try to do the material in the way that it is done, right? And because all the materials in Montessori typically are self-correcting, so they can kind of figure it out on their own as well, right? That's the problem-solving mind, the, the working mind that will try to aspire to use this material in that way. But... Because of the variables that, you know, each child has every single day, I just wanted to say that if your child is experiencing, you know, something different, something new in the way that they're relating to their materials, it's incredibly normal in both the classroom and the home settings. So on that note, let's go ahead and jump into our interview with Laura, Rachel and Megan of the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast. So these ladies are truly incredible. They are three trained Montessori guides and new mothers, and combined, they're trained in ages birth to 12 years old. Their podcast aims to serve caregivers who want to learn about Montessori philosophy, but also want a bit of lightheartedness when it comes to the ups and downs of parenting. And they're super, super funny. I loved chatting with them. So let's go ahead and jump into our interview. Okay, thank you so much, Rachel, Megan, and Laura of Montessori Moms in the Wild for coming on my show. I'm so, so excited to chat with you guys again to start, can you please tell us a bit about each of your history so our audience can get to know you? Yeah. So how much how much history do you want? Because <laughs> you want all there's the juicy a lot stuff. of it. There's, yeah, there's so many scandals. No. Okay. So I'll, well, I'll just start then. I'm Laura. I'm currently a mother of one, but like super soon to be mother of two. Like super soon. Any minute soon. now. I'm over here drinking my raspberry leaf tea. I'm eating dates. I'm ready to go, guys. I am ready to go. I don't know if he's ready to go, but I'm ready to go. <laughs> You're 37, right? You're 37 and three. Yeah, 37 and um, three days. So my daughter, day. my daughter came at 38 and three days. So like, but I'm trying, I'm trying so hard not to get it stuck uh, in my head. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because then I'm going to pull the Rachel and Megan and just weep openly when I'm pregnant <laughs> for longer than I thought I was going to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, mother of one right now, soon to be mother of two. Um, I do have my Montessori training in lower and upper elementary. So that's ages six to 12, grades one through six. But- my name is Megan. I am a mother of two toddlers. So I have a three-year-old and an almost two-year-old. So um my life is chaos. And um, <laughs> I have my Montessori training in lower elementary, which is ages six to nine. And I'm also currently in the thick of working on my primary training ages three to six. So that's been a fun adventure to do with two toddlers also. So again, my life is chaos, but I'm really excited to be here and get to chat with you again. Thank you. Thank you for being here. That's incredible that you're doing your training right now. Congrats to you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) She's a masochist. masochist. I don't know what you were thinking either. (laughs) Um, I'm Rachel. I am a mother of two. I have a 
gosh, nine and a half month old. Yeah, little girl. And then I have my little boy toddler who just turned three. So um, also in kind of the thick of it right now, but um, enjoying every second. And I have my Montessori training in infant toddler, which is um, birth to three years old. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for those introductions. As you guys can tell, they're Montessori mommy experts with all of their Montessori knowledge that they're about to bring to you. To jump right into our topic for today, we are talking about a topic that I thought would be just perfect for this phase of life that we are all in. And that is the Montessori home versus the Montessori school setting. And I feel like as, you know, Montessori teachers and Montessori parents, we can offer just some good, well-rounded ideas on the differences and similarities between the home and school settings, because it is a question that I've gotten quite a few times. I'm sure you guys have gotten that too, as far as, you know, what you notice in the classroom versus the home and what the differences and the experiences. So I would love to go ahead and start within the difference in expectations between home and school. So would you guys mind sharing, you know, what you've found are the biggest just differences and expectations that, you know, you place on yourself being a Montessori educator in the class and also a mom at home. Yeah. So um, I think being a mom and practicing the approach at home, like it's the most rewarding feeling. I think before kids, like, of course, I love the philosophy. I loved being in the classroom. But I think once I've had children, it like brings it home, like even more. It kind of makes it like a, I don't know, it's like, a, maybe a bigger appreciation I have for it even now as a mom, as I did as a teacher. Um, but after guiding your child, it makes me kind of believe in the philosophy more, I think, and really see the importance of the philosophy even more. I think one really big difference um, that is present as a mom and versus the classroom is I'm not in the a fully set up Montessori environment, right? So I don't have all the materials I don't have like the classroom with all the tables that are perfectly sized for my toddlers or infants and life is busy, right? I, I know um you have a baby too. So life just looks different. It's busy than a classroom environment. Um, It is Montessori, but it's very much in a more like practical and adaptable way at home. Um, mm-hmm. I think the philosophy, of course, it focuses on respect of the child. So that's something I think that kind of stays the same. I, I have such an appreciation for that part of the philosophy and treating them as people, as real individuals. And that happens at home too, of course, as it happens in the classroom. I think that's one thing that kind of change it, that doesn't change it, stays neutral. Mm-hmm. But I think um, we have these high, high, high expectations, I think, of ourselves as mom. And I'm sure Laura and Megan feel this way too, because we are trained teachers like we really want it to be like a certain way and I think we started this podcast because we all (laughs) are best buds and we're like hey it's actually not this way like we're trying our very best Mm -hmm. but like we're it's not it it looks very different just because it's real life we're living in and I mean like it's 7 20 in the morning when I have to go to work and my toddler decides not to put his shoes on Mm -hmm. I have to pick him up and we go versus maybe in the classroom we would give more chances and maybe more opportunity because it, we have the time versus just I have to be at work. So mm-hmm. it's just not a choice at that at that point. And I think at school, there is kind of this underlying thing of parents are paying for like the service of the Montessori education. Mm-hmm. So you do have to kind of carry that out in a certain way also. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, first, thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like it's super good to note that, you know, 
at home, it looks different. It does look different. Mm-hmm. I really felt that <laughs> entering yeah. it myself, you know, you know, when you're training, you learn both. You learn the classroom mm-hmm. setting and setting up the classroom community, right? But then also the home setting. And so at home, I had this idea and expectation as far as what it was. But I feel like as soon as baby's there, it's just kind of like, I feel like the prepared adult part helps you let go of the expectations. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. definitely. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. And something that we decided with our podcast of Montessori Moms in the Wild was that we had this this kind of idea before having children, and especially in the classroom, of this more curated Montessori experience that we were used to. And then all of a sudden we were like in the wild, like our children are adapting to be a part of our family community. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the classroom, we're making this community based on their developmental needs and really about the children, but it's a lot of more about the family mm-hmm. at home. And there can be a really high expectation, especially with really great information on social media, but also can be stressful information on social media to compare yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks exactly like this beautiful Montessori classroom in a home. And it just, it doesn't have to look like that. I mean, my house doesn't and my life doesn't. And I hope that that can make someone <laughs> else feel good too, to be like, it's, it's in the wild. It is mm-hmm. a time to give ourselves a lot of, of grace um, as mothers. Absolutely. I feel like that's really good to note just that, especially on social media, a lot of what's captured is, you know, those really wonderful moments where everything is set up and the child is working or you know the they they go and they they get their broom and they start sweeping up after you know but shortly after that they could you know chuck the broom or the brooms you know everything ends up everywhere and you know posting the complete meltdown that yeah moments before or after that like idyllic scene and i think that's really important to remember as humans especially mothers the big one for me is that i consider myself to be a very patient person um but and, and I consider my relationship with all of my students to be really deep and profound. I loved my kids. They were my kids until I had a kid, right? And you mm-hmm. have them for three years in the Montessori cycle and you really, really get to know them. I mean, it's such a privilege, right? By the time my third graders were graduating to upper elementary, I was weeping, reading my goodbye speeches to them, right? <laughs> that being said, nobody, nobody affects you like your own kid does. So the just the way that they can trigger certain responses from you, the way that you are so exhausted and depleted and mm-hmm. run down. I mean, literally physically, emotionally, mentally, especially if you are in a classroom during the day and then coming home to parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just hard to always be the best version of yourself. It's a little bit easier to do that when you're on the clock from, you know, 8 to 3.15. It's different when it's 3.15 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> and 8 p.m. Yeah. And yeah. and there's no one coming to take her to P.E. for me. And there's just no, you know, there's no break. And mm-hmm. and it's just, I think it's just important as a parent to give yourself that grace and courtesy, like we've all been saying. And it's easy as a trained Montessori parent to be really extra hard on yourself. Like I can do this for all these other kids. Why mm-hmm. can I not find the perfect language for mine every time? And that's, again, an aim of our podcast is to to admit where shortcomings are going to arise and to be able to pivot though and still follow the philosophy to course correct and and to just know that I'm going to have to kneel down to my three-year-old and say, mommy lost her patience. 
Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you know, like Mm -hmm. just to be humble and honest with myself and with her because we're not in the classroom. I'm not on the clock. This is real life. She's my kid, Mm -hmm. not someone else's. No one's paying me to do this, you know? So there's those extra different emotional levels that come with your own kid. And I think you have to be forgiving of that. Absolutely. I also, I feel like the, the piece of the preparation of, you know, like yourself and giving yourself grace and all of that, I feel like it's almost applied almost differently as a mother. Like, I feel like in the classroom, it was very, how should I say, like strategic for me, you know, like I would have my observations, I would have my, you know, my moments to journal and, you know, everything was very, yeah. You know, you do it for a long time and you know what you need to do to get yourself to a certain place to be at peace in this space, you know, and just kind of enter the room and ah, everything's fine, you know, but at home, it's almost like, well, at least especially in the beginning when you, you know, you have a tiny new baby and you're figuring it all out. It's like you're using the tools of the prepared adult to kind of stay afloat and, you know, just be, take those deep breaths and use whatever we've learned as you're super sleep deprived and trying to do what you can, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the physicality of it, you know, your listeners a lot, I assume are new mothers or, you know, pregnant soon to be parents. Mm -hmm. And it really is there. You're tired and your body's been through a lot. And if you didn't carry that child, there's still a lot of emotional weight that turns into physical weight and, and a lot of worry and mental load. And, And I feel like those are things that you don't really, I mean, you know that they're going to happen, but don't realize how much of a transition it is to go from not being a parent to being a parent Mm -hmm. and that identity shift and figuring out who you are and who this little being is to you and how to keep yourself afloat. And so I think that it's a, it's a big time of transformation and it's going to be uncomfortable and, and, and and that's okay. And that's part of the transformation, but I feel like it was helpful to have these principles to always lean back on and also Mm. my amazing friends and community to be able to also fall back on in a time of, you know, you've been through a lot and and you're going through a lot and it's okay to not be perfect and that it's it might be different than you thought and and that's okay because it's just a season it really is and everyone says that and it doesn't feel like that in the moment it feels like Ooh. oh my gosh this is my life now mm-hmm. like yeah. i remember my my daughter was 4 months old and she wasn't sleeping anymore <laughs> i mean not that she was really sleeping before but she like really wasn't sleeping anymore and i had this moment of like what well, this is my like this is forever <laughs> For those first few months, it was like living on adrenaline. And then after a while, I was like, oh, I'm a parent for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden that became very overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. And even though I'd wanted it my whole life. And so I do think that there's just, especially in that time of having your little Montessori baby or you or new Montessori parent, it's a big time of transformation and that's okay. It's yeah. It's part of it. Absolutely. I think the guidance that you guys give is so relatable. (laughs) And I feel like the underlying, you know, idea of it being just raw and wild and new as you guys are in the wild (laughs) is so real. And yeah, I appreciate you guys sharing that. So on the expectations topic, you know, I feel like as a guide in the classroom, as an educator in the classroom, you know, 
you have, you know, written ideas and observations and stuff as far as what materials you're going to put out, you know, what your flow is going to look like within your space and stuff like that. Are there differences between those expectations that you set for your children at home? Well, so I will, I'll start on this one. So the classroom that I taught in was first, second, and third grade. So that's, you know, my kid is not there yet. My daughter's three. So she would be in a toddler classroom Mm -hmm. and I've subbed in a toddler classroom, but I haven't taught in a toddler classroom. So I can't say that my expectations of my students and my child are quite on the same level yet, but I can speak to some of the like, you know, kind of overarching concepts. So We talk a lot about how the most important parts of being Montessori really at home have nothing to do with the materials and the lessons and the shelves and stuff like that has everything to do with respect, Mm -hmm. following their lead, fostering independence, all of that, that I would have offered to my six through nine-year-olds. I am still absolutely doing with my own child at home, just as consistently as I would have in a classroom where I don't have the same expectations as she might not put her work away perfectly every time. And I'm not always going to obsess over that and be like, no, you need to go back and do it this way. Mm -hmm. You know, she might not always interact with something the way it was intended per whatever lesson I had in my mind. Not really going to hold her to that, especially because my kid does go to a Montessori school. She's getting that all day. You know, like I really don't need to be pounding that at home now and giving her lessons and making this intense academic experience for her when Mm. I know she's putting that work in already. And home can kind of be a place where she gets to be a kid, still a respectful kid, still an independent kid, you know, but not necessarily an idyllic student of a kid. And I'm not, I'm not looking for that in her. And yeah, I think those are some of the kind of the big expectation differences, you know, like if she's just needs to have a big emotional release for a while, then we'll just sit together and do that. And that's a luxury that I I don't have in a classroom normally, you know, like yeah. I might have to call someone else in to either take over for me or, or take that kid or whatever it is where I can do that with my own child at home. So there are pros and cons, but I certainly wouldn't expect her to act like she does in her classroom all day at home mm-hmm. because... Yeah. She's not in her classroom. She's at home, you know, but I, but <laughs> yeah, this is your safe space to have yeah. the big emotions to, to test the idea of being disrespectful, right. To all yeah. the, all those things. But my, my expectation that we're going to come back to those really important concepts is still always going to be there, but I just might not approach it the same way or with the same ferocity as I necessarily would in a classroom between these fixed hours of the school day type of thing. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I really, really felt what you were saying as far as, you know, the, I think you worded it, the luxury of being able to kind of sit and be with them for longer periods or, you know, whereas like in the classroom setting, you have assistants and, you know, you have guides around who are, you know, helping said children kind of depending on the classroom, (laughs) you know, but, but at home, I, I really felt that recently as far as like napping approach and being able to just kind of just sit and have him like be, you know, on his bed for a long period of time, (laughs) you know, whereas like in the classroom setting, it would be like, okay, we're not going to wake up all of the other eight, you know, seven children that are sleeping on their floor beds right by them, you know? Exactly. You've got somewhere (laughs) between 12 and 25 other kids in that room that you're equally responsible for. So Mm -hmm. you just don't always have the time that you would like to have for some of those things, but you can do that with your own kid to a degree, depending on what you need to like. Rachel (laughs) earlier was talking about needing to get to work, like needing to be out the door. You know, there are times where you still are in a time crunch, but not, it's just not the same. Is mm-hmm. when you have an entire classroom full 
of kids. Yeah. And something we talk about a lot too is having consistent expectations for your child, whether you're in a classroom setting or whether you're at home. And and something that, that I like to talk about a lot and something that I practice a lot at home is that if I can't hold a boundary consistently, then I don't enforce it. And so there are fewer, honestly, there are fewer things that I would expect at home because I can't consistently hold them to to that. So something that Laura mentioned was like putting their things away. In a classroom setting, I do expect that if something is taken out, that it is put back away. You know, maybe it's not, depending on the age, maybe it's not perfect, but it is, it is taken out and it is put back away. That's part of that's part of the work is mm-hmm. is that transition time as well. Whereas with my children, that's not something that I'm expecting because I can't hold that boundary all the time. And kind of taking out a lot of the friction and power struggle that can happen when you have too many rules. And I don't want this to be misconstrued because I'm not saying that it should be a free-for-all, but holding the important ones and kind of letting the rest go. For example, my children today wanted to, we have a private fenced in backyard with about a half an acre and they wanted to, they had no shoes and no clothes (laughs) and we're just running around. And of course we would not do that at a school, (laughs) Um, but there's just more, more freedom. I feel like at home because I want to make sure that when I say no, or when I am expecting something of them that I can hold to that and that they know every single time that I'm serious and that I mean it. If I say no, I I mean it. Um, If I say yes, I mean it and that I'm going to follow through. So that's something that we talk about a lot and I try really hard to do is to make sure whatever it is I'm saying that I'm able to follow through. That's wonderful. That follows the the philosophy like to the T, you know? Okay. So would you guys mind sharing what you feel like the differences are between the expectations of your home environment and the school environment? I feel like this is a really good question because like I said, there's more and more pressure to make uh, from social media to make our homes look like Montessori classrooms. And our I just want to say our homes are not classrooms unless you're homeschooling, of course. Mm-hmm. But The biggest differences would obviously be the materials, those that were actually created by Maria Montessori um, that we would use in the classroom for those more educational purposes. But more practically, there's a need and an expectation to keep the classroom prepared and complete at all times. Whereas a home, that's not always, we talked about all of the other things (laughs) that you need to do in your life and keeping a prepared environment always beautiful, complete, and age-appropriate just isn't, it's not always. It's it not ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen, guys. Thank you, Laura. It's not okay. happening. Just let it go. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's messier. It's more personalized. So a child has their own room, um, their own toys, for example, whereas in a classroom, it's it's more community. We share the materials. Everything belongs to everyone else as, as community members. Mm-hmm. And with a school, the materials, the the activities, the furniture, the routine are completely built for the children where they are developmentally. But a home, there's a much bigger need to make the house accessible to everyone, not just the children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the Montessori world, we we all the time talk about making 
things accessible to children, but we also need to feel comfortable in in our homes and in our space. So we don't need to make everything like a classroom because we live there too as adults. So my personal approach to my home is to make it so that both my husband and I feel a sense of calm and at least the ability to maintain our space and that our children have access to do the same and to meet their needs in the same way. So our homes are meant to be lived in and that means they're not going to be perfect mm-hmm. and all of our budgets look different and and there are things that that are going to make our homes unique and so i think it's important to remember that while beauty and order and accessibility are super important principles to think about when preparing your home they will look different than a classroom and and that's the way it's supposed to be absolutely I really love how you talked about, you know, making it accessible to everyone. When I was um, studying in in development, there was this analogy that was given by one of my professors as far as the, the picture being the child or the picture being the family and how the picture being the family, you know, can create this really supported child, you know, and I think it starts in, you know, something like just your environment. I also love how you just said, you know, it's not always going to be perfectly prepared. Like I have, I did set up my son's room, but there's a giant pile of laundry in the middle of it that I haven't touched in a day and a half, you know? So <laughs> it's just kind of part exactly, of it. Exactly. Like. Yes. <laughs> but I really, really feel that. And thank you for sharing. <laughs> Do you guys find that there are differences between the home and school settings that are important to note for other parents and educators who may be listening as far as just other things you may have thought of or anything to point out? Honestly, I feel like Megan really wrapped that up really nicely with everything that she pointed out about how, again, just keeping to the same principles of attempting a prepared environment that is accessible to everyone, you know, fostering the independence. We talked about still expecting respect and showing respect. A lot of those sort of headier parts of the philosophy should remain the same between the two settings, mm-hmm. but it's not an academic setting. It's not a, it's not a classroom. It shouldn't feel like a classroom. It shouldn't run like a classroom. Um, again, in, if homeschooling is different, but even in that case, there's going to be times where you're off the clock with homeschool too, and you're just at home, you're mm-hmm. just playing, you know? So, um, so yeah, I feel like I can't think of anything that we haven't really already hit on do you ladies feel like there's anything that of course I do Megan yeah (laughs) of course always as kind of flipped so you said uh, that educators maybe it's important to think about so something on the flip side is that I have now learned from the perspective of a parent of being a little bit more empathetic as an educator and that it's it's really easy to be judgmental about parents and the way that they do things mm-hmm. as a teacher and to um, have really a high expectations for parents. And I feel like now I'm able to understand a little bit more how hard it is and also to respect that the family culture will be different and that we need to be sensitive about that, of that we don't know what's going on at home, but also there are people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages, different just 
having different backgrounds and that the way that they approach their parenting and the way that they approach their family is valid and Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily know everything and we don't know the best way for them to handle a situation at home. And of course we can offer what we know as when of course as we've trained in Montessori and trained in the philosophy. Mm-hmm. But that's what I would have educators keep in mind. And something that has been a big lesson for me is that it while it's easy to be judgmental or kind of lean that way, like why don't they just do this? It's so easy. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. And and also that other people's backgrounds and cultures and where they come from are also valuable and important to for us to be sensitive about. That's a great point. I was, I kept looking at that from the parent point of view, like, you know, how can I make my setting more like that one? But you're absolutely right that after becoming a parent, I really had to check myself from the teacher point of view of just like feeling frustrated that a parent didn't implement a certain type of tactic or just, I absolutely understand now. I feel like it's kind of a thing in our, in kind of a cliche about parents today, sort of wanting to like swoop in and save their kids a lot. Like they don't want their kids to fail. They don't want their kids to feel pain. You know, all these things that as a trained educator, I'm like, well, those things are necessary. They have to feel those things. You have to allow that. You know, why are you constantly trying to save them? And I am 1000% now understanding what how like your brain just sets on fire your heart lights up and you just want to save them you don't want any of them to ever feel anything negative um i'm glad that i have the education that i have to catch myself and to still be able to allow her to experience all those things but i get it now i get how if you are not coming from an education background and you don't know why all those things are important and to what degree they're safe and all of that good stuff how that just really can elicit a completely different reaction out of you. So you're right. As an educator, if you're not already a parent, it is important to keep in mind that kind of like I said earlier, your own kids light you up in ways that your students never will, no matter how much you love them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had been talking to some teachers um, that I was training with and they were talking about some kids in their, in their classroom that were bringing things to school that like maybe lunch boxes or shoes or something that they couldn't open. And so that it was, it was kind of like, well, they can't, they don't have the opportunity to be independent if they don't have the proper, you know, either shoes or water bottle or lunch box or whatever. And now as a parent, I much more understand that you might be buying shoes every few months and maybe you can't afford the shoes that are easily accessible. Maybe you have hand-me-downs. Maybe you have to bring the laced up shoes and, and maybe you can't bring my school, my kids school. They want them to have two water bottles and they have to be insulated and they're expensive. And to be able to have two for each of my kids that they could both independently open. I just, I want educators and and my former self to be able to see that that there's more to the story and that our job is to be gracious and to and to help and support the children when they're in our care and also support the families and mm. and that means being understanding and loving and respectful and kind and um having them walk away feeling like they're doing the best we can and that we see that because that's what we would do for the children. So I think that Mm -hmm. I see it a lot more of offering those same principles that I would offer to the children to also 
to the families and to parents. I think that's definitely, I feel like for this season for me, I'm teaching. So I'm a toddler teacher. I'm teaching the age I also come home to, which I find incredibly challenging right now. And I think I'm a lot more just like lax and really, I like like Megan has said many times, my boundaries at home are just really not all there right now because I know I can't follow through when I'm coming home and literally have like a three-hour window where I'm solo and have to cook and get children bathed and in bed. So they're, they're, of course, I have boundaries and they're there, but it's like, I'm in this season where I'm I'm just very tired because I've already been with toddlers all day. Mm-hmm. And then coming home to that kind of same behavior, I feel like experiencing that as a parent too has really helped me be more mindful of, of parents, of, of the families, of um, the children in my classroom, because um, they're all going through different walks of life or their jobs, or maybe they have a sick parent at home they're caring for, like things just look different. And I think it's just living this. It's a constant reminder of this is real life. And um, we have to kind of look at the big picture and the family of that. Absolutely. You know, as far as the human element, you know, as a as a parent, you just you you get to be the one to show your kid the human side of the world. <laughs> you know, you know, I have a one of my best friends, um, she's in psychology. And I was venting to her at one point about just like, you know, how, how I was nervous. And, you know, my baby came early at one point. So she was talking to me just about, you know, like my mental health and stuff like that. And I was just concerned about all of it, you, you know, you just, your mind goes a million miles an hour and every thought flies through your mind. And she just told me at one point that what she had learned is that doing your best is the best for the child because it's good for them to see you just trying to manage. It's good for them to see just the, the community flowing and everybody interacting and things will be wild, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, yeah. from time to time. And, it's it's good for them, you know? So I found a lot of peace in that. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to say that in my mind during the hard times of yes. that it's my opportunity to show my children how to be human. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, before we go, I was wondering if we could do just two really fun rapid fire questions to send us off. And I would love to know what your We're favorite. We're so bad at rough, rapid fire. <laughs> rapid is not. We are like not a rapid fire. Beers. <laughs> We're the we longest love. winded. Just love the sound of our own voice. Obviously, we need help. So let's try. I mean, let's try it. Let's try it. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. I mean, for that's the why challenge. we have podcasts, right? We love to talk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, what is your favorite part of your day as a Montessori mom? Okay, I didn't listen to the instructions when I thought about this, about it being rapid fire. So I'm going to try to make it quick. But I think that the times of my day change all the time. But the moments of connection that I'm able to have with my children look I could find them in the most unexpected places, but uh, just the other day, my daughter and I were cooking in the kitchen. She likes to help me cook dinner. And while the food was cooking, we turned on some music and we danced in the kitchen. And it was just a beautiful moment, just the two of us dancing in the kitchen. And since then, every night she wants to dance with me in the kitchen. And so I feel like 
my favorite parts are those unexpected moments of connection that are so, so, so important to make the rest of the day. We have to connect at some point to be able to make our days a little bit more bearable, honestly, because parenting is hard and there are moments that I just don't like it and I don't enjoy it all the time. And I think that's important to say too, is that not every Mm. moment is beautiful and wonderful and fun. Some of it is hard and sad and lonely. So yeah, it's those little moments of just being together and seeing each other and loving each other that are my favorite. Absolutely. I'll try to be even more rapid and just say (laughs) that it is definitely, I'm just going to steal some of Megan's main points. Any of the times where I can catch myself being present, which is really hard. There's another difference between being in the classroom and being at home in the classroom. Like you said, there are like set times to observe and there's nothing else I need to be doing. Like this is my job at home. It's really easy to let her go play independently and go do 18,000 other things that that are supposed to get done around the house. Because like, when else am I going to do the laundry? When else am I going to get the dishes done? Anytime I can just stop and be present and just really just like watch her and listen to her or interact with her and just see that like she has all the time in the world to just keep trying to put that sock on, you know, Mm -hmm. or or that she's so determined to go get her little broom and help me sweep the floor, even though she is absolutely making it way worse than it was five (laughs) minutes ago. But like she keeps telling me like, mommy, I'm big. Mommy, I can help. I can do this. Any of those times where I can just catch and sort of reap the rewards for the hard work that it honestly is to foster those, that that independence and let those situations happen and set up that environment so that it can be possible. It's not easy. It's taxing. It's It's so much easier to just do it for them and in spite of them and pick them up and let them just kick and scream. And anytime that I can just stop and see that it is all for something mm-hmm. and it's all really beautiful. Those are the moments that I am like, that's why I do it this way. So not just as a mom, but as a specifically as a Montessori mom, mm-hmm. because it is such a specific way to approach this whole journey. And I just love any time, you know, like Megan said, cooking together, you know, like letting her chop something up and then having a dance party and just mm-hmm. seeing the pure joy. And just those are the moments that make all of that hard work totally worth it. Yeah. Mine is so similar, but I feel like, I mean, I'm on a story mom, but I feel like my favorite part as a mom right now is I set a timer for a bath and I take a bath with both my kids. We get in my big tub in my bathroom and I set a timer for like 20 minutes. And at that point, like I don't, I, I put my phone away. Like, it's like, okay, like this is our, cause it's really like my like sacred time because when I get home, I'm busy cooking and busy, you know, um, I've worked all day. So it's like this 20 minute time where I'm like, I am all yours. And like tonight, my toddler was um, counting in Spanish to my infant and they're just giggling and laughing. And I'm just, mm. it's just like the the best feeling to just know, like I'm here and we're just, so sur- I'm just surrounded by just you two at this moment. And I mean, the, it goes back to connection, that just yeah. connection piece of having that that time together and seeing them just happy and making me happy just brings me joy. I feel like it's important, like after we all share those things is that there's always often there's a 
misconception that Montessori is all about independence and getting them to do things on their own and that that's the goal. And I think that something that we miss a lot is that connection is just as important, if not more important. Mm -hmm. So um, even in a classroom, for example, if I was going to give a child a lesson with reading, I would write it out for them with a pencil and a paper in a little strip of paper just for them about something I know about them, something I know that they love and, Mm -hmm. and that we'd make that connection together before I would give them work to do independently for them to read independently. So I think that that's something that we miss, especially when people first arrive to Montessori is like, we're just, the best thing we can do is get them to be independent, but they're children. And that the, the biggest thing is for us to connect with them first in a meaningful way. So Absolutely. I feel like it's super important to know, especially in regards to, you know, the, you know, the infant and attachment and, and all of that. One of the things that I've spoken about on our show is that the connection piece is essential for the independent piece, right? Because it's not like you're, you know, you're telling your baby just like sit there and, you know, self-eat or, you know, like here's the broom, you go have it. No, you're there (laughs) with them. You're getting on their level. You're connecting. All of it has to do with the connection, you know? So thank you for sharing. (laughs) On that note, as far as our favorite parts of the day, since we are Montessori guides, I would love for you to share what your favorite part of the day is as a teacher. I'll start. Um, I I think my favorite part of the day is about like 10 minutes probably after work cycle has started. Kind of there's this like buzz in the classroom. Everybody's settled in. Everybody's working and calm, but like busy in the best way. And it's just that point where as a teacher, you look around and you kind of just smile because it's the environment is set and everybody's just working as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also... I love another, my other, I can't just say one, sorry. My other one is when I ring the bell when it's time to clean up and it's like all of a sudden I look up and like everything's put back. Of course, like, you know, there's stuff maybe on the wrong shelf or not properly put, but everybody all of a sudden is on the carpet, like waiting for me to start circle time. And Mm -hmm. I, um, I love that moment too. I love that. Again, she's in a toddler classroom, so that is truly impressive to mm-hmm. witness. It, it doesn't happen like that. There. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Takes a yeah. while to get there. Mm-hmm. But once you're there, it is amazing. Okay. Um, I will jump in and say that I also love that sweet spot in the work cycle where you can just kind of like step back, hands off, and just watch the buzzing, the humming, the collaborating at the lower L at the lower elementary level, there is a lot of collaborating. In Rachel's room, it's a little bit more like, this is my work. Blinders, Mm -hmm. don't touch me. Um, In Lower L, it's like, hey, what can we do together today? Like, what goals do you have that I have that we can work out in in a cool way? And I just loved watching that. So that kind of harkens to that like independence part. But then to touch on Megan's point about the importance of the connection, my favorite parts following that would be morning meeting, which in my classroom, we started every day with a morning meeting to sort of just level set what's our schedule for today? What are the expectations for today? Mm. Um, Everything from what's the weather to maybe what do you need to share with us? You know, just it was just a time to come together as a community and to share or celebrate or plan. And then really similar to that, anytime that we had a minute to all get together and do a read aloud and we got to sort of like conjecture about what was going to happen next or share like what was important about that story or what did that story remind you of? And just 
any chance that we all got to sit together and just be together. And it wasn't necessarily a specific lesson. Sometimes it was, but it never felt like it was because Mm -hmm. it was just so fun to, to just chat, you know, Mm -hmm. and connect to connect. Like Megan said, the connection and that really, I think chronologically, I probably should have started with the group times before the work cycle times, because without that connection, you you won't necessarily get to those beautiful independent buzzing moments. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of that together, any of those moments in the day were always the times where I was like, yes, this is magic. Like this just is magic. It is that Montessori magic. I think there's a quote, a Montessori quote about, you know, the children working as though the adults didn't exist Mm -hmm. or something like that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it is magical. <laughs> yeah. Anytime someone could walk into the classroom, like, you know, our our director of admissions would bring through a tour and I could see them straining to like find the adult in the room. Mm-hmm. And that's a cool thing. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not even necessarily clear who the teacher is because the kids are just intrinsically going. They just know what to do when they're doing it. And to Rachel's point, it takes a little while to get there, right? That doesn't start on day one of the school year. Mm-hmm. Um, and to Megan's point, it takes a lot of the connecting and the building trust and the getting to know each other and having that deep, profound relationship that I was talking about that we have such an amazing opportunity to to have with our students in a Montessori environment. But yeah, when you put all those pieces together, it's like, man, so cool. Absolutely. And that is just the most magical way to send this off. <laughs> Thank you guys so, so, so much for coming on the show. I loved chatting with you guys. I was honored to be able to go onto their show and I'm going to have their show linked in the show notes as well so you guys can check out their Montessori Moms in the Wild. It is wonderful. They are so real. So definitely check that out. And yeah, thank you so much, Megan, Rachel, and Laura. It was really lovely chatting for having me. It was fun. (laughs) It's cool to be the guest. It is. It is. (laughs) I feel that way too when I go (laughs) Like I'm just talking and talking and I'm like, this is someone else's problem to edit my mouth right now. (laughs) Usually it's my problem. (laughs) So sorry. Sorry about that. No, I love it. It's part of it. (laughs) (laughs) And that was our interview. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Rachel, Megan, and Laura of the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast. I will have their show linked down below as well as their Instagram. They share a lot of great info on there as well. And for those of you who are new to my show and looking to start Montessori in your home with your infant, if you're expecting or if you have a baby at home, I have a great new masterclass called The Six Steps to Begin Montessori with Your Baby. That gives you all the foundational steps that you need to successfully build that child-led Montessori experience that works for you and your family and your lifestyle. So check that out. That is also linked in the show notes. And yeah, that's about it. Thank you guys so much for listening to season two, episode 13 of our Montessori Babies show. And I will catch you in our next episode. Bye. Hey, it's Bianca, your baby tour guide here, hopping back in to say thank you again for listening to this episode of Montessori Babies. If you'd like to support your baby's earliest and most important years the Montessori way, I have a totally free masterclass that teaches the six essential steps to begin Montessori with your baby that gives you the exact, seldomly spoken about steps that I created after over a decade working with Montessori babies, families, and caregivers. You can register via the link in our show notes or in my bio on Instagram at babytourguide. Also, if you're enjoying my podcast, I would absolutely love if you'd leave a review to help other parents and caregivers find and join our community. Thanks again for listening to Monastery Babies, and I'll catch you in our next episode. Bye!